EM Guidewire, hard-hitting emergency medicine from Carolina's Medical Center. Welcome back, everyone, to EM Guidewire. We have been away for a little bit, and we apologize for that, but we hope our vacation didn't interfere with your education. To make up for it, doctors Durba and Folk actually snuck into the recording studio at the end of the holiday and recorded a few cases. The first one is a scary one involving a pediatric patient. So without further ado, let's join doctors Durber and Folk to discuss the management of a critically ill patient in the pediatric emergency department. Take it away, ladies. This is Sophia Durba, PGY2. And this is Destiny Folk, PGY2. Welcome back for another EM Guidewire episode. We hope you all had a happy holiday season and happy new year to all of our listeners. Happy new year. I hope your holiday season was filled with lots of relaxation and good food. I was lucky to have some babka bread delivered to my house made deliciously by Dr. Durba, and I was able to travel to the beach to see my family and spend some much-needed quality time with my husband. That sounds excellent, Dr. Folk, and my husband and I got to celebrate our son's first Christmas. Yay, how exciting. He slept for most of it, but we had a blast opening presents for him and taking way too many pictures. I also want to point out that you and I, Dr. Folk, are now officially halfway through residency. That is crazy. Just like I'm sure it is for you having a new baby at home, the days and nights have been long, but the months are short and time feels like it has flown by. Absolutely. Today, we're going to be talking through a peds case. Sick children are thankfully not too frequently seen in the emergency department, but this typically means we feel a little anxious when a sick one arrives in the ED. This case will hopefully make us feel a little more comfortable when it comes to taking care of sick children. Well, let's jump right in. This case started with a triage nurse bringing back a patient because the nurse said the patient just looked unwell and was having staring spells. The patient is 15 days old. She was born at term to a mother with gestational diabetes who had an uncomplicated postnatal course. It's currently about 3 p.m. in the emergency department, and the parents say that what's been really concerning to them is that since 5 a.m. this morning, she's had some intermittent jerking of her upper and lower extremities and stares off into space. She's been making good wet and stool diapers. They have not been taking her temperature, but don't think she's had any fevers. Is there any other history about the patient or mom you'd like to know, Dr. Durba? What was her GBS status and any history of HSV? Those are very important questions, Dr. Durba. The mom was GBS positive. She did not receive antibiotics prior to delivery, but the baby was born via scheduled C-section. Mom has no known history of HSV or any history of lesions concerning for HSV. The patient was immediately hooked up to the monitor, and her initial vital signs revealed a temperature of 95.5 degrees Fahrenheit, heart rate 177, respiratory rate of 27, blood pressure 68 over 38, and she was setting at 100% on a room air. And if you're like me, you're going to pull out your P's quick reference card to help you determine what a 15-day-old vital sign should be. But what do you notice was wrong with this patient's vital sign, Dr. Durba? Well, she is tachycardic, has a borderline low respiratory rate, and low systolic blood pressure. She's also notably hypothermic. That's correct. The 50th percentile for a newborn's vital signs are a heart rate in the 120s, respiratory rate in the 40s, and a systolic blood pressure of around 70. What is documented on physical exam is that the patient has no gaze preference and normal reflexes. She has prolonged cap refill and decreased skin turgor, and she is moving all four extremities but is noted to have increased tone. What should be one of your first steps after getting this patient hooked up to the monitor? Well, I'd immediately want to check a glucose. This patient's glucose was 40. For a neonate, or an infant less than four weeks old, a glucose less than about 60 is considered to be hypoglycemic after 24 hours of life. What are you going to give for this patient's hypoglycemia? For neonates, a 2cc per kg IV bolus of 10% dextrose is typically given, which can then be followed by a continuous dextrose infusion. 
We learned about the rule of 50s, and so technically in this case, if you were giving D10, you would give 5 cc's per kg, which would be okay since you'd be correcting this patient's hypoglycemia. However, from the literature review I did, 2 cc's per kg of 10% dextrose is the best option. I think this is because neonates typically have a lower normal glucose level, and they're tiny, so it doesn't take as much to fix their hypoglycemia. And they also have daily fluid goals that increase over the first few weeks of life, so you don't want to fluid overload them. That's right, Dr. Folk. You should also avoid using D25 or D50 for an immediate bolus. Given the hypertonicity of D25 and D50, it can be dangerous to give through a peripheral IV as it can cause phlebitis and thrombosis. Glucagon is often thought to be a part of the management of a patient with hypoglycemia. However, if the patient's liver glycogen stores are depleted, glucagon might not work. From my reading, term babies typically have enough glycogen stores to respond to glucagon, However, it takes 10 to 15 minutes to work, which is quite a delay, especially if you can obtain IV access to give dextrose-containing fluids. While obtaining access to improve this patient's hypoglycemia, she became hypoxic to the 60s and bradycardic to the 30s. Resuscitation was begun with positive pressure ventilation and very brief chest compressions, which improved this patient's oxygen saturation and heart rate. Access was obtained, and you corrected this patient's hypoglycemia with a repeat glucose in the 140s. You are a stellar resident and consider that her hypoglycemia could be a symptom of a more severe underlying pediatric condition. What is on your differential for this 15-day-old, former full-term infant presenting with concerns for possible seizure-like activity, decreased PO intake, hypoglycemia, and aptic episodes? I really like the Misfits mnemonic to help me remember a differential for neonatal emergencies. T is for trauma. Always think about NAT. H is for the heart. This includes congenital heart defects and SVT. E is for endocrine emergencies, including hypoglycemia, hypothyroidism, and thyrotoxicosis. M stands for metabolic derangements, whether that be electrolyte or glucose abnormalities. I is for inborn errors of metabolism. S is for seizures. In this category, Think about intracranial hemorrhage or infection, cerebral AV malformation or stroke. F is for feeding or formula. Think about incorrect formula mixing or FPIs. I is for intestinal emergencies, including intussusception, malrotation, and neck. T is for toxicologic. Think about Benadryl for fussiness. And last but certainly not least, S is for sepsis. I am terrible about remembering mnemonics, so this is something I keep on my phone on a short list of quick references that I can take out if we get a call that a sick baby is coming in, or if I feel stuck without an answer in my workup for a sick neonate. While you're thinking about your differential and workup for this patient, she has two witness tonic-clonic episodes with associated apnea and desaturations, which improve with bagging. She receives Versed and a Keprolode. We usually grab Versed because it's what we're comfortable with and because it's what's readily available in the Pixis. But while reviewing this case, I did some reading on seizure management in the neonate, and Versed isn't necessarily the wrong answer, but from my research, the most common first-line agent utilized in this age group is phenobarbital. If seizures do not resolve after the first loading dose, a repeat bolus of phenobarb should be given. If seizures continue, the next agent commonly utilized is phosphonatoin. Other agents including Keppra and lidocaine are other options that are recommended before benzos. Short-acting benzos, like Versed, can be utilized if there is a delay in administering other agents. So I talked with Dr. Olson, one of our excellent pen fellows, about this, and she said that if she gives Versed to a neonate, she's ordering phenobarb and asking the RN to have pharmacy tube it down to us. Wow, that is really helpful. We don't manage neonatal seizures often, but next time I'll remember to give a loading dose of phenobarb and grab some Versed while I'm working on getting the phenobarb to the bedside. The decision is made to set up for intubation due to fear of the patient not being able to protect her airway. What size ET tube and blade should you grab for this 15-day-old, and how deep do you think the tube should be placed? 
I don't typically like formulas, but I find this one easier to remember and super helpful when you're trying to set up for an airway on a sick kid. To determine the uncuffed ET tube size, use the formula age over 4 plus 4. So in this patient who is essentially 0, your uncuffed ET tube size is a 4. To get the cuffed size, you subtract 0.5. So in this patient, you would grab a 3.5 cuffed ET tube. When you're inserting your tube and you aren't sure how deep the tube should go, use this equation. Depth equals ET tube size times 3. So for example, if you're intubating a patient with a 4.0 ET tube, you should insert the tube approximately 12 centimeters. This equation falls apart a little bit in tiny babies since uncuffed versus cuffed tube will end up being up to 1.5 centimeters off, which is a pretty significant difference in a tiny baby. But this will give you some reference as to how deep it should go. I really like the way one of my favorite EM resources teaches you to select a laryngoscope size. Before the age of two, you use a one, except in a premature infant or neonate, that's when you would consider using a zero. Once the patient reaches two years of age, switch to a size two laryngoscope. Once the patient reaches third grade, you switch to a size three blade. In patients less than two years old, you should consider using a Miller over a Mac because that will allow you to lift up the epiglottis, and typically in those less than two-year-olds, the epiglottis is soft and can be floppier than in adults and obstruct your view of the cords. However, from my literature search on this topic, intubation success rates have been similar in children when a Mac is used versus a Miller. This patient was intubated. She received a set of rainbow labs as well as ampicillin, ceftazidime, and acyclovir due to concerns for sepsis. She had a negative head CT. Her blood cultures were positive for Neisseria meningitidis. The natural reservoir for Neisseria meningitidis appears to be asymptomatic carriage in the nasopharynx. So, don't kiss babies. This child's close contacts all got post-exposure prophylaxis and none developed disease as far as I'm aware. Maternal vaginal colonization is also seen in these cases, although this kiddo was a C-section baby. To recap this case, make sure you check to see if the patient's vital signs are normal for their age. Don't forget to check a glucose. Use a 2cc per kilo D10 IV bolus for symptomatic hypoglycemia in neonates. The first-line drug for neonatal seizures should be phenobarb, but use benzos if that's what you have access to while awaiting another drug. Use the Misfits mnemonic for sick babies. And remembering mnemonics is hard, so just keep it handy in a quick list of easy-to-access resources on your phone. To get the uncuffed ET tube size, use age over 4 plus 4. To get the cuffed ET tube size, subtract 0.5 from the uncuffed tube size. Don't forget to think about the appropriate depth for the tube, which is ET tube size times 3. You don't want to write main sim the tube. Consider using a Miller in kids less than 2, since their epiglottis is floppy. In preemies or newborns, use a size 0 laryngoscope, then up to age 2, use a 1. At age 2, switch to a size 2 blade, and once they're in 3rd grade, use a 3. And don't kiss babies. I know, they're so cute, and you what just can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a loaded case, and we hope the Misfits mnemonic and intubation tips will help you remain a little calmer the next time you care for a sick newborn. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of EM Guidewire here at the J. Lee Garvey Studio. We'll be back for another episode soon. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today! Seems out. My husband and I got to celebrate our first son's Christmas. Our first son's Christmas. Why did I... <laughs> Our son's first Christmas. It hit me. The dyslexia. Okay. Oh, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Did I say anything weird before that? So, don't kiss babies. Okay, that went off the rails. Sorry, Dr. Fox. <laughs>